This week, we've plenty of your reaction to Michael Gove's New Year message for agriculture. UK agriculture is facing a tough time, and it has done for a year or two. Farming and food production must be protected. We would like to sort of move on from sweeping statements of uh, broad ideas and actually get stuck into the detail of how this is going to work. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Is it too late to wish you a happy new year? I mean, it is the first programme of 2018, after all. Defra Secretary Michael Gove started his year addressing the Oxford Farming Conference. And while there wasn't that much new in there, he did announce one U-turn, the keeping of subsidies for five years after Brexit if, as he has hinted before, farmers do more to protect the environment and further open the countryside to the public. Of course, things can change. Parliament may need to agree to some of what he had to say. And with a possible reshuffle looming, will Mr Gove even still be in place this time next week? Who knows? Uh, What do farmers have to make of what he did have to say, though? Charles Onion was at the conference. Well, it was quite reassuring that uh, he's given us that five years post-Brexit to to adapt for life after Brexit, really. But I think the the, the most reassured I was during the speech was when he... um, Stated that uh, food production needs to be, you know, the mainstay of every farming business in the country, which was uh, very reassuring to hear. It was great to hear him talk about, um, you know, championing British food throughout the world, uh, because I'm biased, but uh, I I believe food produced in Britain is produced at, uh, you know, very high standards and, uh, you know, it's the best in the world. And it's it's great that uh, he was talking about promoting it to the rest of the world. Charles Onion there, welcoming some of what Mr Gove had to say. Andrew Ward is also on side, on subsidies anyway. The big significant factor was the um, extension to the single farm payment that we're already receiving until 2022. And that is a a massive uh, change and a massive support for UK agriculture. And it will help in the transition phase, obviously, for when we leave the EU. UK agriculture is facing a tough time and it has done for a year or two with an enormous amount of challenges out there and it's helped us through those challenging times but obviously in, in a few years time when they do finish by then hopefully we're all going to be ready for it and we can carry on uh, being unsupported but uh, also um, Michael Gove said the support will be linked into environmental measures and when the uh, basic payment scheme finishes in 2022 uh, the sort of payments that we will be getting after that will be linked to protecting the environment, the countryside and wildlife and those sorts of things, which, which to be honest, a lot, of, a lot of farmers have been doing already and I've been doing that for 10 years now and I've got wildlife margins and flower margins around, around every field and so we've been doing that so it's nothing new to, to most farmers. You know, we do think about the countryside and wildlife and we think about leaving our farms and leaving uh, everywhere in a suitable um, sort of position and a suitable environment for to hand over into our future generations to come because we need to look at the future and, and food production going forward beyond our lifetime. The views of Andrew Ward there. We'll hear from our agronomist Sean Sparling in a moment what he thought of what Mr Gove had to say. First, Andrew Wilson from the NFU has been giving his reaction to Matt Soames. Well, I think the main points made by Michael Gove in, uh, in his speech at the Oxford Farming Conference yesterday um, are that he wants to develop a coherent food policy. Um, he wants to give uh, farmers and land managers the the time and the tools to adapt to the future to avoid a cliff edge, which I think a lot of farm businesses were worried about. Uh, he wants to develop a new method of financial support for farmers, which moves away from the current scheme. 
and uh, and he wants to uh, in, in, ensure better land management and environmental schemes. Um, I think a lot of what he said has sort of linked into um, the NFU's document, which was the framework um, for success, uh, which we uh, released uh, sort of last year. Um, and I think overall, I think it's been reasonably well received. There's uh, there's a lot of detail still lacking in there, and uh, particularly detail lacking on farm subsidies, which have been guaranteed up until um, in their current form uh, for the next uh, the next four years. But then we will be looking at significant changes. Yeah, there is um, obviously that's a relief having those farm subsidies guaranteed. But you know, he hasn't really set out what's going to happen past that, has he? Uh, he hasn't, no. And uh, and he seems to be favouring uh, a capping of farm subsidies. And I mean, from from that, they do always quote uh, large landowners receiving a lot of money. But uh, I think one statistic that isn't uh, often. Um, discussed is that 85% of all farm subsidies are payments of less than £25,000 and the average farmer in the country is around 300 acres. So we do have to be looking at, uh, at, at what is good for the for the greater good here and, and not just focusing a policy on, on, on capping large landowners. Goes big idea uh, behind you know agricultural policy is that he seems to be going for this green Brexit idea, the idea that um, landowners and farmers um, use use money to you know improve the environment and, and participate in environmental projects. Um, you know, is this is this something that um, is, is a good idea? Has it been working so far in its current form? I think if you if you look back over the last um, sort of fifteen years, there's been there's been huge leaps forward in environmental uh, features on farms and uh, and environmental schemes. Uh, the previous ELS schemes and HLS schemes, where farmers uh, were part of their farm subsidy, was given towards putting in environmental schemes on the farm, and farms look fantastic uh, as a result of that, uh, with the better management of hedgerows, woodland. Uh, land put aside for wild bird seed uh, mixes, and uh, and and you have seen an increase in in populations of a lot of birds because of that. The latest scheme, which is the countryside stewardship scheme, um, hasn't been well received on farm, um, and the uptake of that has been poor. Uh, and I think most farmers would agree that the inf- current uh, environmental schemes do need improvement. Um, Michael Gove's talking about improving them and uh, and linking farm subsidy towards uh, environmental schemes. Um, so I think overall we would encourage a, a change of the current uh, of the current scheme, um, but we would like to see more detail and we would like to certainly uh, work with the government. I know they're looking at bringing out a, uh, a white paper for, uh, for discussion and debates in the spring. Um, we look forward to seeing more detail in that so we are able to look at, um, at discussing and debating that with them. He talks a bit about red tape on farms and he talks about the number of agencies which farms have to deal with, uh, something he wants to dramatically cut. Um, He made the point in the speech that farmers in general have to deal with uh, the Royal Payments Agency, Natural England, the Animal Plant and Health Agency, the Environment Agency, just a mind-boggling amount of people and paperwork to complete. Um, Surely it's welcome that he's he's looking at getting rid of a bit of that bureaucracy. Uh, You wouldn't find any farmer that disagrees with uh, removing the levels of... of, uh of bureaucracy in uh, in in farming uh we've seen numbers of uh, of people working on farms uh, decline over the over the years purely as farming has become more mechanized uh, staffing costs are expensive and one man can do a lot more than one man 
could do uh, you know, 20 years ago. So uh, the current farmer uh, wants to, you know, he has to be an expert in his uh, machinery, has to be an expert in growing his crops, uh, mechanics, but then he also spends an awful lot of time, he or she spends an awful lot of time in the office working through all of this level of bureaucracy. So I think any uh, improvements on that um, would be very well received. And it's something that the farming uh, industry has been calling for for quite a long time. He talks a bit about how uh, British food will relate to the rest of the world in terms of trade. Obviously, it's still very light on details about you know our future trading relationship with the EU. Um, but he, he wants to have British food as a key selling point. To have it. Um, he calls it a gold standard metric for food and farming quality, emphasising things you know like uh, taste and you know integrity and the production and stuff like that. Um, you know that's something that farmers are already doing in many ways, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't, I don't think taste has ever really sort of been the issue. Um, you know, British farmers are, are and the, hopefully the general public are well aware, that the food that we produce in this country is to the highest standards in the world. It's very good quality food. It's very safe food. And uh, and, and it, is, uh, it, it is popular around the world. Um, I think what we'd like to see more of from uh, from Michael Gove is uh, is is more detail on trade negotiations, as that is by far the most important issue facing the industry. Uh, tariff-free access to our markets in Europe is vital, uh, particularly for commodities such as cereals and lamb, which have major markets in Europe, but also for our European neighbours whose economies, um, you know, look at Ireland, are dependent on exporting to the UK. So we have got to see. Uh, a little bit more detail on that because it's it, it's still the, by far uh, the biggest area or the biggest uh, impact on our industry. He talks about opening up um, other economies to exports. For example, he uses China as an example. Um, wh- what do you think of that? You know, it's a big it's a big market. It is a big market, and it's something that obviously if we can export uh, our our poultry, our pork, our beef. Uh, to to China, that would be great because it's a huge market um, that uh, that we, we our farmers you know could could technically supply. I think you have to look at it sort of geographically. There are a lot of big farming nations a lot closer uh, to China than us. And one statistic that I heard last year was that Britain or the United Kingdom exported more food to Belgium. Uh, in 2016 than it did to the BRICS countries combined. So Brazil, Russia, India, China combined, we sent more food and exported more food to Belgium. So it's great to say that we'd like to um, have a trade deal with China and, uh, and and we'd be much better off for it. But we've got to make sure that uh, we're, we're able to export to those countries. If we've got a ready-made market on our doorstep, the China one has to be in addition to that and it can't be um, as forget about Europe and let's start moving over to uh, to, to, to China because uh, if you have a market on your doorstep where I think the EU is 800 million people, uh, we need to focus on retaining and improving trade with uh, with Europe as well as developing other ones. It can't just be forget about Europe, let's focus on China. Um, I've, I'll conclude with asking what's probably a slightly loaded question, but has Michael Gove impressed with this speech? Because it's very ambitious and he's he's talked about a lot of things, a lot of different areas of policy. I think he has impressed to a certain extent um, because he's he's wanting to have an ambitious future for farming and uh, and ultimately that's what farm businesses want. Uh, we want security to invest and we want to be able to uh, farm better. We want to be more productive. We want to manage land and environments uh, better. There's always room for improvement in everything that we do. Uh, so he has got a broad vision. Uh, so you have to say that he's impressive because he's got a broad vision and he seems to be a man that's prepared to take on the difficult tasks ahead of him 
but the uh, the devil is always in the detail with this, and we would like to sort of move on from um, sweeping statements of, uh, of of broad ideas and actually get stuck into the detail of how this is going to work. So to to answer your question, I would say it's uh, it's impressive that we have an agricultural minister that is looking at all aspects of uh, of agriculture and is prepared to take on tough take tough decisions to improve it for everybody. But we would like to see the detail, and I think personally, uh, sorry from from the NFU point of view. Uh, we would like to look at these things in detail um, to test them to see if they do improve um, the farming environment and, uh, and and work together with the government to improve it. So he's saying the right things uh, in some ways, but we need to be able to look at the detail and see how this is going to work. As ever, the devil is in the detail. Andrew Wilson chatting there with Matt Soans. Sean Sparling's our agronomist here with his regular report in a moment. But what did he make of what Mr Gove had to say in the week? Mr Gove at the Oxford conference has mentioned a few things. He's talking about support and they're going to change the way support goes to farmers. But just remember, support is just that. The weather is an unknown quantity in agriculture and that's one of the reasons that support happened in the first place. And for every pound the government gives into agriculture, they get a £7 return on every pound they spend. So it's money very, very well spent. They should support farming and food production, and that's what he seems to be saying. The environment is high on his list, but it's already high on our list in agriculture. Farmers are already the custodians, and we're managing and preserving the environment very, very uh, well as we go at the moment. Reform, yes, I think so. But support going forward is absolutely vital for the countryside, for the environment, for water, soil, for our wildlife and for food production. And it'd be very interesting to follow how this whole lot develops. But farming and food production must be protected for the long term. That's what we eat. We grow recognisable crops like peas and beans and carrots and parsnips and potatoes. But we also grow other crops like the linseed and the oilseed rape, the cereal crop. And they are ingredients for all the rest of the food that we eat. So whatever happens going forward, we must support the smaller farmers. We must support agriculture in general. Perhaps a cap is the right thing to do on uh, farm support. But ultimately, that word support is the watchword. We must support food production going forward because without it, we're in a mess. I forgot to wish you a Happy New Year earlier, so uh, Happy New Year, Sean. Yes, and Happy New Year to you too. And to our listeners, of course. I hope you all had a good one, a peaceful one and a healthy one. And I hope 2018 is a prosperous one. It's been quite interesting. I was, it doesn't seem five minutes since I was sat opening my selection box and sitting there in my new shirt and my new slippers then Christmas dinner came and then all of a sudden before you know it the adverts for summer holidays are on the telly and the adverts for saving up for next Christmas are all over the place so um, it comes and goes quickly I've got festive as usual 14 days after Christmas has finished but we're into a new year now uh, day five as I record this and it's rained every day so far Um, I hope I'm not still saying that in a couple of months time but it is what it is there's not a lot we can do about it is there Um, talking about rain seeing as we finished last year talking about the weather the total for 2017 for me at home was 569.6 millimetres of rain and just over 289 millimetres of that fell 
in June, July, August and September, the four months of the year where it should be hot and dry, we got half of the annual rainfall. And that could easily explain why we had so many problems with some of the quality issues, particularly specific weights in some of the wheat crops. But as I've said, that's all been, it's all gone. It did a good job for us on sugar beet because yields have been quite extraordinary. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts in this job and it always has been. Um, so let's talk about crops. I've been out walking a few fields and it's quite encouraging Let's start with oilseed rape, where the propizamide went on, where people delayed until moisture happened quite nicely in the soils and the soil temperatures began to drop quite widely and remain low when it was applied then four, four, four and a half, five weeks on. And we're starting to see some very good effects indeed on the black grass and the browns and indeed any other grass weeds which are in the field, which is very, very encouraging. Even actually some of the patches of grass weeds within fields that perhaps weren't controlled as well as they could have been early season. So there's a lot to be hopeful about, I think. It's working very well. Disease levels remain very low. In the oilseed rape, we're starting to see very little movement now in foma and light leaf spot, and that will remain so until things start to warm up over the next few weeks. So don't waste your money with fungicides on oilseed rape. But if you do just want to check what's in there, remember the Spot Check Initiative. Um, you can Google it or you can go to my Twitter feed at SAS Agronomy and just follow that link and it will give you all the instructions on how to do it. Basically, you just put 30 leaves, new and old, in a bag, send it off, and within three days you'll get the results of what diseases are present within your crop because I think it's vital that we know what's there before we go thinking about treating it. We don't want to be wasting money on something which isn't actually present in the crop. So um, oilseed rate quite happy, very little evidence of uh, cabbage stem flea beetle larval damage in my patch on the ones I've seen so far. So fingers crossed that will remain the case. And also just remember on that point, if you've got cabbage stem flea beetle larvae in the stem, there is absolutely nothing you're going to do of any good by putting an insecticide on. If you want to get them off the field, you're going to have to put the sheep on to let them eat them and take them off the field. Um, moving on to winter cereals then, very little change since Christmas. I said it would be a bit samey. Um, what you can see is the yellow rust is still there and as I said before Christmas that's going to stay there unless it gets cold enough for the leaf itself to die and that's nowhere near, we haven't been anywhere near cold enough for that to happen, you need minus 14, minus 16 for that um, so just monitor the yellow rust, make a note of where it is, make a note of which varieties it's in and then you can deal with that quite soon enough at T0 so don't go wasting your money on fungicides and just while I'm thinking about it as well, if you've already applied propizamide and carbetamex and remember you can put propizamide on oilseed rape and lucerne up until the end of January and you can put carbetamex on um, or carbetamide on oilseed rape until the end of February. If you've already treated them with those products don't treat them twice you're outside the rules uh, and it's no good for anybody because we cannot have these products turning up in water that's why we have stewardship and with all the drains running at the moment we should be very conscious of putting any residuals on oilseed rape anyway at this point in time. Useful advice as ever. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services back next week. Let's get our first update of 2018 from Open Field, shall we? Kit Dickinson has the latest. Hello, Kit. What's the year looking like then so far? Well, we've had a very, very quiet start to the year so far. Uh, Christmas and New Year was very quiet, and one of the main reasons for this was due to lack of available haulage, really. Uh, generally, uh, through lack of volume of fresh business. Uh, since we've returned to work, though, we have seen no major price movement, and however, the north of England continues to pay higher prices compared to the south, subject to haulage, circa 140-142 X farm. The near-term short spot market is still dominating the pricing structure. 
Outside the UK, the main focus is weather. Dry weather in Argentina is causing concern for soya planting and putting stress on existing crops. However, in North America, cold weather may potentially lead to higher volumes of winter kill on crops, but it's difficult to evaluate fully until the spring. But with the US down on volume this season on wheat and maize, weather problems could continue to force the US spot shorts to take more cover. These weather problems are certainly keeping the traders on their toes. Spain and North Africa are both having dry winters. This is Spain's second dry winter in a row and majorly affecting their stocks. There is also mild weather in Russia, which is causing disease pressure for winter crops. Moving back into December, on the 22nd, DEFRA reduced their crop estimate on wheat down to 326,000 metric tonnes, which is a 2.4% drop. This was a high figure originally, in our opinion, as we've mentioned before. This should give support to the market, but I feel that the merchant trade was always working on a slightly lower figure in the first instance. A slow start to the new year is holding the spot position firm, so prompt movement is key. Milling wheat premiums are still £9 to £10 dependent on area. Moving on to barley, uh, feed barley market has a £1 carry going forward and is currently trading at a £12 to £15 discount to feed wheat. The UK is still exporting feed barley in the south of the country, which is currently being supported by currency. Malting barley premiums remain static as a result of little buying interest. As always, premiums are dependent on quality, variety, area and the month of movement. The main focus on barley now is switching over to new crop as we look ahead to the spring. To get a specific price, please get in touch with your open field farm business manager. Oilseed rate. The oilseed rate market is currently under pressure due to a price drop from £300 per tonne pre-Christmas to a current 295 which is due to currency. This is because of a lack of buying interest and crushes have cover until the middle end of January, but little cover thereafter. We are hoping this will change as the markets pick up post-Christmas. The bean market has no export interest at present and is suffering from a poor quality harvest. Human consumption beans continue to be downgraded to feed, flooding the market. In a year where there is ample supplies of other feed products limiting domestic homes and maintaining a low price. Moving on to prices this week. Uh, Feed wheat full month January. 138 to 141 X farm. Feed wheat May is 138 to 140. So there is no longer any carry going forward. Milling premiums on old crop are 9 to 10 pounds, with new crop feed wheat prices for harvest at 135 to 136 X farm, and 137 pounds 50 to 138 for November, dependent on area. Feed barley full month January is 125. Feed barley May 18 is 126. Malting barley premiums are still in the region of £30. Oilseed rape is 294 for January with £1 carry going forward. And feed beans January 145 with £1 carry through to May at 151 Thank you. Kit Dickinson from Open Field. Well, Sean Sparling mentioned the rain in his report earlier. Are we in for another wet week? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, you should be happy about today. Plenty of sunshine, should be dry. Bit of a wind from the east-northeast, 15 to 25 miles an hour. Daytime highs of 4 Celsius. Could be a frost overnight tonight. Clear skies, staying dry. Temperatures generally just above freezing. The wind continuing from the east-northeast, 15, maybe gusting at 30 miles an hour for a time, first thing tomorrow morning. As for tomorrow itself, starts sunny, clouding over come the afternoon, 5 the high. That wind more from the east, 15 to 25 miles an hour. Some clouds for Monday into Tuesday, maybe a shower or two as well first thing on Tuesday morning. Temperatures down to around 2 Celsius. The wind continuing from the east at 10, maybe gusting at 25 miles an hour though. And then through Tuesday, cloudy with the possibility of showers for the high. The wind from the east-southeast between 10 and 15 miles an hour.
Some heavy rain forecast uh, through the night, Tuesday into Wednesday, and indeed through Wednesday itself. It could sweep across the area. We'll keep a check on that. Six, the high at the moment, away from the rain. The wind more from the south, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then the latter end of the week looks like being a little bit calmer and a little bit drier once again. Not as breezy as, say, some sunny spells as well. We're looking at highs of around 5 Celsius. Temperatures, though, could fall below freezing come the end of the week. So uh, we could expect quite a sharp ground frost uh, come next weekend. But as ever, we'll keep a check on that with the hourly forecasts as the week continues. That's the forecast then. Next week, the police force that has seen a drop in incidents of hair coursing. But are we any closer to actually ending the illegal sport? Let's be realistic about this. Are we trying to stop hair courses, hair coursing in the UK? Or am I tasked with trying to stop hair courses, hair coursing in Lincolnshire? At this moment in time, my task is to keep them out of Lincolnshire and make Lincolnshire as hostile as I can. I will work with Cambridgeshire and I will work, work with Norfolk and I will work with bordering counties to support each other to push them even further afield. Um, but how do you stop hair coursing per se? Well, that's criminal justice. And, and we all know, and, and our farmers all know this, that the, the punishment for hair coursing is so limited that the, the £120 fine is not going to touch the sides. So will that stop them hair coursing? No, it won't. Taking their dogs might, or it'll delay them, but... Um, yeah, I guess we are going to displace it. And, and do I apologise for that? At the moment in time, I'm pleased that not, it's not in Lincolnshire. Mm. The credit doesn't come just to Lincolnshire Police. It goes to us all because we're working together and we're making Lincolnshire really, really hostile to these very unpleasant people. They have no respect for the animals they hunt. They have no respect for the dogs that they used to hunt. And they have no respect for the community where they're hunting. So let's make it hostile. Let's work together and let's be really, really unpleasant as we can to these people. More on that next week. Also, we'll have our first report of the year on beet and potatoes. Nick and Colin will join us. That is next week. Until then, as ever, have a good week's farming.